Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They had yeah. been they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. What's so, the first deal they built? I bet. No, no. You know, you, I think they were they had the the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, aka Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped up car, and he he complained that the government gave him these piece of crap cheapo cars and that, that were really no match. But he thought he was doing pretty good, and then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappears. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And as he said, it was a game of chicken, and I was the chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually, he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed wire fence. So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast, available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Vault Podcast. Eric Estep here. One of my favorite parts of being a NASCAR fan is collecting diecasts. It's how I got my start on YouTube, actually. To me, a room is not complete until it features shelves of NASCAR diecast cars. It's as good a time as ever to continue your collection or begin an all-new one by pre-ordering your favorite driver's 2022 next-gen diecast at LionelRacing.com or at any authorized Lionel retailer. Lionel is the official diecast of NASCAR, and don't miss Lionel Racing's NASCAR Authentics diecasts at a Walmart or Target near you. Not only is Lionel the official diecast of NASCAR, but they're also official supporters of the Out of the Groove Podcast Network. So what are you waiting for? Head to LionelRacing.com to order your favorite driver's 2022 diecast. You're listening to Made in Level Cross, presented by Tristone Austin. I'm Thad Moffitt. And I'm Roland George. And today we're talking to a very special guest. Yeah, we got Will Spencer on the show today, Thad. Really, really special person in the NASCAR community. Just recently closed the Winston Cup Museum in Winston-Salem, but Will... With his company, JKS Incorporated, did a lot for the sport, and I think we're going to have a really good conversation with him. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to Will and and see his thoughts on everything he's seen in motorsports because he's been in the business for 30-plus years now, you know. So for him, he's seen a lot of decades of racing, so excited to talk to him. And uh, stick around. We'll answer a couple of y'all's questions after we get done talking to Will. Right on. Let's get into it. Thanks for joining, Will, and giving us some time to talk about 
your rich stock car racing history and everything you've accomplished. Well, thank you for having me. There's a lot of history there. It starts, it starts at Rockingham in 1971. Is that uh, the earliest memory you have of like NASCAR? Yeah, it was, um, actually uh, a good friend of mine. I was growing up with his dad, Curtis Stevens worked at Reynolds in the factory and he had a Winnebago and he'd gotten tickets for the first cup race in Rockingham. And we went, we had that Winnebago, we loaded up our mini trail fifties and we left on a Friday and we camped out Friday night in the infield when I was 11 years old and had the barrels burn in and it was quite an experience for 11 year old. I can tell you that. And then on Saturday, we got to watch them practice and qualify. And Sunday, we took our mini trail fifties and rode them down to turns one and two. And um, I guess we felt like we were easy rider. I don't know, but we were sitting there to be a Jeep <laughs> watching, the, watching the race. And I watched the, the King and Taylor Yarber and Muddy Baker and everybody go, you know, go for the win. And I came home and started building model cars. And believe it or not, I still have my Buddy Baker model car jeans. Little twin brother broke my petty car up, but I still have it and a few others that I built back in 1971. So that was, for me, it was kind of like the, the begin, the start of the beginning. I was, you know, I was a motorhead, had go-karts and everything about it. It was like, man, this is just, I got to be a part of this. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it, but I was 11 years old then. I think Richard won that race, right, Will? I believe he did. I believe there you he go. Did. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a great, yeah. I, and, and I think the thing was that, you know, we, we talk about that first race and we talk about rentals and talk about, I never thought, you know, I would be doing what I did 40 years later. So I was blessed from that first race. Yeah. So, so, you know, obviously, like, like I said, in the beginning, Will, started the Winston Cup Museum, but well, it goes back even further. So you're actually a native of Winston-Salem. So how was that growing up in Winston-Salem? Like what, what were you doing? Were you, were you rowdy back then? Were you, were you ripping up the streets? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I grew up over in uh, Renolda Village right there at Wake Forest University. So we, my dad built a street called Lazy Lane. It was a circle that he sold seven lots to seven of his friends. So we had the ultimate playground. We had the Renolan Gardens and Grayland. And where we lived on the backside, we had our own racetrack. It was a, it was an oval, the streets called Thornfield. And we could ride, you know, it started with pedal cars coming down the street, taking the pedals out of them, six or seven years old. And then it went from that to, to go-karts and go-karts to mini trail fifties and, you know, SL seventies. And then you just kind of grew. As you grew, you grew into the CCs of the motorcycles. I think one of the things my dad instilled in me was that you do nothing to throw away. So when a motor went bad in a go-kart, he didn't get you a new motor. He made you rebuild it. So oh yeah, I learned a lot with that. And at school, yeah, I got three days for riding a motorcycle through the school at Summit School. Yeah, I got three days for that. But I lived on a motorcycle. Pretty much to the time I was 15 and started driving before I was 16. I would say something that my family definitely taught me the same thing. You know, I mean, if it's broke, you got to fix it and, and use it again. You can't just throw it away. So that's, that's some, somewhere we can find some common ground, but I want to, I want to learn how, what, 
what made you want to start a Winston Cup museum? Because Grandpa just had so much stuff laying around. He just started putting it in one place and called it a museum, right? And then it ended up becoming the Petty Museum. But uh, what was your initial thought? Well, I had all started. Um, Dave Lawrence and I worked at the Modern Chevrolet together. You know, Danny. ECR, RCR, Danny. Dave's going to lock the door behind Rich. I always say that, but it came to me in 83 and I'd been trying to get a job at Reynolds as a show car driver. And he came to me about July and said, he was going to go work for Lou LaRosso. So what are you going to do for Lou? And he says, well, I'm going to clean parts. And I thought, damn, that's not going to be any fun here at modern anymore. So I, uh, I came down my great grandfather. My grandfather and father all have had a business within a half a block of where JKS is on Liberty street and a half a block from the museum. And I rented a building. I didn't really know what I was going to do. And through turn and time, and I had rented this building. I had the opportunity to, to finish a project for my dad. And it was, it was making some signs for McLean trucking. And I finished that project for a company that he had had that had been in one of his buildings or my grandfather's building at the time. And I started doing signage. And one day I got the opportunity to do something for the bandage out at Tanglewood. And I realized it was more than just doing real estate signs. And fortunately I had gotten an opportunity to do some stuff for Reynolds Creative Services. And from that, I met, met Jeff Bird. You remember Jeff Bird that was worked at Reynolds and was the director at Bristol and passed away about, about a decade or so ago. And I showed him a bunch of pictures and he said, well, you can do anything we need. And from that, I started doing things for fourth marketing at Reynolds. And the first thing I did was create the Weston logo. Wow. That was, that was for Jerry Law to make the announcement at the Reynolds building, you know, million dollar for the winter of the, of the Winston. So that was a really cool project and it just, it started blossoming from there. And then about 85, 86, I realized that the building I'd rented, I couldn't, I couldn't work on cars and I couldn't paint trailers. And that was one thing I thought that would be a good, um, going to talk about NASCARs and race trailer. That would be a newer avenue for what we were doing for signage. So I finished that building in 86 right there. And one of the first two cars I worked on was the little, Pontiac Sunburger that was the left, right. Left, right series. Yeah. Yeah. I worked all it. I've got pictures of it and the, and the goodies show car, the, the Dodge Daytona, the queen. So sure. Bobby Moody, um, Bobby Moody came and helped me at night. And he was one of the flying aces and he'd helped me at night, work on the cars. Rebels basically and goodies were the only two that really had show car programs, you know, for, for the petties or for Childress or the Wood Brothers, everybody used a race car for a show car. So there was a, there was a need and I was, I guess I was in the right place at the right time and it just grew. It just kept growing. I, I say that. So, you know, Danny Lawrence, you mentioned, you know, obviously long time, you know, person at RCR. Is that how you met Richard Childress? Well, they make TV shows about maybe what I used to do back in the day. So I had a, I had a 73 Plymouth Cuda. I put a Nelson underhood supercharger on it. 
through the compliments of my friend, Zach Reynolds. And she'd go down the road and she'd just whistle. <laughs> and I took everybody's money in Forsyth County. So I was headed to Davidson County one day because I could go up there and hang out at Speedy's and figure out who wanted to lose their money or if I was going to lose my money, you never really knew. And I came off of Walltown and took a ride on Clemensville Road. And I saw this red and white old 442 sticking halfway out of a building right there on Clemensville Road at Walltown. I turned around, I come by, I said, what is that? I got out and I was walking up and this guy come walking out, it kind of looked like Elvis. He had a jumpsuit on and it was kind of slick. And I said, hey, I'm Will Spencer. I said, here are you. And he said, I'm Richard Kellers. And that's how I met Richard. It was right wow. there seventy. Right about 1977, right in there. And I went and bought a, a red old 442 from the Hosemobile dealership that was used. And I took it to Sprague Street Muffler, put the exhaust out before the rear wheels, took it to sale the springs and cut the springs and put it down on the ground and went over to Lindsay Tire and put the biggest wheels and tires I could under it. And it had that uh, illegal Chevrolet motor that Hosemobile got in trouble with. It was really fast. And um, so I had my street stock car, so I can say I probably had one of the first street stock cars back in my okay. so It was a 76. Yeah. Well, there, Will, you're, you're celebrating 40 years at JKS. So what is, what is the plan moving forward in the future? Well, I think, you know, with the, we were talking about the museum and, and you wanted to know when you said, how did it start? It started. As every time something got older, we couldn't reuse it. I would tell my boys, take it to the warehouse. I'm going to do a museum one day. So we went through that process through the, the late eighties, the nineties, 2000 and 2000, uh, rebels came to me and said, they were going to get out in 2003 and and could have stayed till 2004, but they opted to get out in 2003. And I'd already been looking after, I had 97 Western Racing Series tracks that we looked after, 14 NHRA plus or minus tracks we looked after. And those two series had closed down in 2000, 2001, or right in there. So they came and said they wanted to get out. And one of the, I think one of the things I could say was, Rail said to me, well, we will go out on top. We don't, we want it to be best it's ever been. Do whatever it takes. And we spent a third more of what we spent in 2001 and two for three to make everything perfect. Wow. And through that year of 2003, knowing that sports marketing was going to go away, the, the, the objective was don't let it go to the garbage. Let me have it, you know, and, and that's what we did. I mean, they were divesting in that part of their business as far as the marketing program. So all of those things were either, you know, either saved or went in the dumpster, could have gone in a dumpster. And I think it was, it was remarkable how many things that were there. And, you know, one of the hardest things was December of 2003, you had Rich Hallbaker and Ned Larry and uh, Tim Considine. There were like three people left. 70, some people had lost their jobs. I think three or four had transferred over to rentals. And I felt like I was the last man out, meaning that 
it, I was the man that took down Ralph Seagrave's picture and T. Wayne's picture and a lot of the pictures and, and, and put them in the conference room closet for safekeeping and didn't really know. I had other things that I had brought to Liberty Street and I knew I needed to do something, but I couldn't really figure out what I needed to do. And one day I was talking to Richard Jilberson. I said, man, what should I do? And he said, do a museum. And I said, you know, I've been thinking about it. He said, that's what you need to do. And he was kind of the one that kicked me over the, the first step. And I, I looked at the old mother and daughter building on trade street and it wouldn't hold the weight of the cars. The city had showed me that. And then Earl Shives up the street had been closed for about 10 years. And it was originally a national dealership built in the fifties and became Bob Neal Pontiac. So I bought it in uh, early or closed on early 2004 and we opened a museum in May of 2005. I think one of the, the hardest things to do was how do you take 33 years of history? And if you've seen the mural, it's, it's beautiful. Exactly, you, had to figure, yeah. you had to figure out who was where and when, you know, and it's like I tell Richard Childers, I said, you know, if you hadn't hired Daly, you wouldn't make it on the mural. Okay. <laughs> you know, 1979 or whatever, sure. but, but I mean, that's how it, it all worked. And, you know, Colbert did, did a good job in the past year and a half, two years, we were closed for two years for the, for the pandemic. But the museum was, for me, it was a gift to the city and a thank you to Reynolds. And I think even after Reynolds was gone and what what I was able to do, the Reynolds gave me the platform to do Nextel and Sprint. And we did that for 13 years. I brought Winston Vision to the tracks and then we were able to bring fan view to the tracks, you know, with Nextel because Nextel had, I figured out they had the telecommunication pieces, the 2.5 that we could make that work. I started laying fiber at the racetracks in 2002, you know, put a thousand signals through a piece of fiber and everybody's Fred Armstrong and all of them and MRA were like, you're going to do what? I said, yeah, we're going to monks everything. So all these, all these things that I got to do from trying to get a job at Reynolds as a show car driver, I still got to do is remarkable to, to, to do what we've done in the museum. Pretty much, you know, we call it, it was the modern era. And I think you know, everybody from Nextel Sprint, you know, they recognized how important it was to preserve that history as well as Rebels. And, you know, Rich Hallbeger, they all knew I would do something. They didn't know exactly what I would do because we were figuring it out in 2003. Well, do you think anybody else would have taken up that responsibility? I mean, you were in a very unique situation. Do you feel like anyone else would have been the caretakers of that, that history? You know, I don't. I think that, I think when I look back or look at how, you know, I'm a historian, I love, I love history. And I think that what I did know was if I didn't keep it and I didn't do it, that the history would be gone and you never, you would never be able to put it back together. And I think that file boxes I have was the Winston Cup scenes, you know, every time we restored an old car, I said, I got the best information there is because, we, you know, we've got that. We've got the history because I say the Winston Cup scenes, but no, I don't, you know, I think Reynolds was glad I was doing it. 
and they were going through a merger with Brown and Williams. And I think everybody was focused on that, but I think for the people at sports marketing, they meet a couple of times a year and do a cookout. You know, I think they're still a tight group, but it was, let's say museums never made any money. It never did. It never would. But I had the, the, the deliverables to do it. And I was yeah. thankful that I could do it. And he had the tenacity to do it too, which we, I think on behalf of all NASCAR fans, we, a great deal of gratitude goes to you for preserving all the history. So with that, you know, we met each other at Meekum recently. We had a, we had a big auction and you did too, bigger auction than we did, but you know, we were auctioning off one of our builds, Legacy by Petty, big shout out to Auto Lift Institutes, yeah. but had a great time. Yeah. Met the King. How did it go yeah. for you guys? It was, it was bittersweet for sure, but you know, how was the experience? Well, you know what? I think with the, the circumstances that I was presented with, and, and, you know, history's hard to create. History's hard to preserve and history gone is even harder. So with that, I had a choice, you know, I knew that I couldn't, and I've said this many times, I couldn't take all yellow and navel blue and then that wouldn't be in my heart. I felt like that to take the cars that were in the warehouse and the cars that were in the museum and put them in a warehouse and not share them and not knowing what I can actually do with museum building or whatever. I went back to that piece where Reynolds told me in 2002, they were going to get out and they wanted to go out on top. And I figured the only way to, to do it. And we did the, on December 16th, we did the final day when we had a thousand people there. It was great. Very appreciative of all the people that came and a lot of, a lot of the sports marketing people are there and a lot of Reynolds people are there. But I felt like it'd be a crime to put them in a building and I can't, I can't share it with anybody. I don't have a place to do it. So I had met Nate Amicum years ago and I called him and told him and we were going to, we looked at trying to do it at the museum with the cars and it just didn't work out. So we ended up in Kissimmee, but I ran on probably 200 mile an hour's worth of adrenaline for about five minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But they're gone. They've got good homes. Yeah. The queen came home. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. The queen came home. So in every chess game, you got a king and you got a queen and you got some rooks and pollen. So we had to send the king and we had to send the queen. And then the rest just had to be what it was. I'm sure Dave Marcus is appreciative that that's staying with you for, for a little bit longer. If uh, we can't find a new home for it. Yeah. I had no, you know, you know, what people may say or do, it, it was the first person I called after the auction was Dave Barkus and his daughter answered the phone when I said it's wheels. They says, I told her to tell Dave, cause she said, I could hear Dave in the background. Dave couldn't tell the phone cause he was cooking fish. I said, well, you just tell him I brought the queen home. Or whatever. <laughs> he called me back that night, but anyway, he was the first person I called cause he's I've got stories. He came and did a, you know, a really great video with Stapleton on the, on the Dodge. And he was like a 25 year old. And I think that after we did that, they were, we talked for two hours, you know, being at Dozer and being at Stanley's, being at Wilkesboro. I mean, just funny stuff, but that was the thing talking about the museum. I started 
with Reynolds in 84. They started in 71. So I was able to go all the way back to the beginning with the King, you know, everybody. I mean, Donnie and Bobby Allison. I've seen Bobby Allison three times in the past six months, you know, talk to him and Donnie. And I mean, it's just, I was put in such a great position to be able to, to, to just like seeing the King at Kasini. I mean, you know, you have those relationships because everybody, like Kyle says, you know, everybody was one big family. And, and you learned, and Rills taught me, it wasn't, it was the drivers, it was the teams, it was the wives, it was, you know, it was the tracks, the track owners. Everybody had to be successful for the series to be successful. And Absolutely. they never, I never knew one time that Colbert Seagraves ever came to me at the end of the year and told me he didn't have enough money to send us a year. They were all coming to me saying, look, we've got money left and we need to spend it because if we don't spend it for the next, if we don't spend it, we won't get that back next year. Right. <laughs> so, so for about November to December, between Ricky Hooser and Dan Henley and Colbert, and, you know, whether it was Dennis Dawson, all these people in sports market, I was trying to figure out, okay, how do I balance this to where we, we spend this money. So it, it would go to either doing something for a team or doing something for a driver or whatever, or the tracks. So it was, it was, it was pretty cool. So Will, after hearing your story, I mean, it's pretty obvious. You followed your dream, you persevered and you ended up in a great position. So what kind of advice do you have for our listeners that might want to get in the NASCAR industry and, and really don't know a good entry point for that? I think one of the, the things that we have, I don't know about, for me, it was about, it's probably been about 12, 15 years ago, they were some interns that came from Charlotte to the Wilson facility and we were in the conference room and they were. They're all, everybody gets all giddy about it and thinks it's the best thing ever. And it is, but I can always tell, and this is what I told, I always told everybody, you can, you can figure out if somebody loves it or they're a fan. If you love it, you're in it. It doesn't matter what it takes. And I told those kids, I said, if you're getting the sport, I want you to know that I've missed more planned meals than you've had which is true. And somebody asked me in 2020, if I was going to go to Daytona and I said, you know, I think I'm going to go to the beach this year because I added it up. I spent over a year of my life in Daytona beach racing or doing displays or whatever with that barrier. You know, cause if you add it up, we go test once or twice a year, two races a year. I go down for business meetings or whatever. It didn't take long to, you know, be over a year's worth of time just in so you have to be, you have to be committed to it. Um, I was never, let's say this. I've, I've never been a, a race fan. I'm a competitor, but I respect the racers. I know that every time I put Ed Barry in a car, I slap him in the helmet, slap him on the helmet and tell him you got 250 or 300 or 500 miles to come back and get me. Cause I knew and we had, he had some bad wrecks and he, he got through them, but and didn't hurt him, you know, rang his belt pretty good. But I knew, like all of us, as well as friends and family and all that, that, you know, it's, it might be the last time you get to see. 
I consider a race car, even a show car, and even the show car drivers that we have today, I tell them all, it's a dangerous weapon and it will kill you. And it is proven that. And you've got to have the respect. So you have the respect for all the drivers. You have the respect for the team members, the ones that go across the wall. It's a very competitive sport. I think NASCAR did a great job bringing it, you know, one of the first major sports back out, you know, during COVID and, and watching the dedication. There were so many, like, Betty's team, RCR's team, Stuart Hall's, all those people were so dedicated. They took the risk of getting COVID or, you know, getting sick from all of whatever, everything was going on. So, yeah, it, you, you have to be dedicated. Well, that's great advice. So, um, so wrapping up, cause it's been, it's been really awesome talking with you. You have a new digital platform coming out. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yeah. that and then where they can find you? Yeah. So we've got, it's going to be, it's, it's win cup museum. It had actually, we had had that on Instagram. It was win cup museum. So basically the, the thought of Christy and, and myself is there is a lot of history. I mean. I think the history of the cars has not even been explored to the fullest of where it can be. And I think they're, you know, just like it's what's the Petty Museum. I still have lots of cars. I sent 33 to, to, to honor the 33 years of history to, to make them. And I think that was important to do and, and do it, do it the right way. So just go to experiment, try a few different things. Just like talking to y'all today. I mean, it's a great opportunity to do this. I, I thought three or four years ago that I was going to be able to do some of the things I was going to do. We started doing them in 2023 and Chris Williams helped me with a lot of stuff, you know, trackside manager and Colbert yeah, Stapleton did a great job on some videos. So it's, it's kind of like you're just doing your podcast. It's, it's figuring it out. So it's like throwing 33 cards up in the air and figuring out where they're all going to land. I'm not done. You better not be, because we no, need I'm you, not, Will. We need guys like you out there. I'm not going. <laughs> and I, I think the, I think the, you know, the hard part is the brick and mortar. I've got this, and I, I can share it with you. I ran across it the other day. I had Rachel find it. Actually, there are so many museums. I saw one yesterday. Mellon, I believe it's the Mellon Museum in California. That's four hundred cars. It's closing. There's another one I saw this morning that's closing. Brick and mortar is, you know, it's not what it used. It's not what it used to be. And I mean, I think it's unless it's like the NASCAR Hall of Fame. We do a ton of work. So for Weston and Kevin, we're still involved. You know, JKS is still involved, and we have those great opportunities. So I'm looking. I'm looking for every opportunity that comes forward to to keep the history alive and not let it die. That's what the museum was about. Well, we got to have you out here in Level Cross. So you are more than welcome. Bring, bring Christy out. Bring the whole JKS yeah. crew. We'd love to have you. Thank you for being the caretaker of our two plus two. We we got. Oh, that I was getting ready to thank you. Yeah, they were telling you <laughs> brought it back or whatever. I know, but and you know, I have a street version, and Richard got his prototype, the black one. And I yes. tell him all, I tell him all the time that's my car, and he says it's my car, and I said, well, it ain't got a serial number on it. I always picked on him about that, but I love that. Mine's silver. His black. <laughs> Well, that's the coolest one ever, you know, but anyway, we'll get out there to see you saying, yeah, be sure to tune in to go, go online and find wind cup museum. We'd love to be able to just give us a like and give us a chance.
to preserve that 33-year history would be wonderful. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us today, Will, and giving us a little bit of your time and uh, telling us your story. Be sure to check them out at Wind Cup Museum. That's it. Windcupmuseum.com. Right. We're all winners. All right. Amen to that. All right. Thanks, Will. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Y'all have a great day. We'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. Pristine Auction is the most trusted sports memorabilia and collectibles auction site. Auctions on pristineauction.com start at just $1. And each day, thousands of signed items are available. So you win signed authentic items at affordable prices. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Pristineauction.com is your one-stop shop for all authentic signed diecasts, helmets, trading cards, photos, and so much more of your favorite driver. I've got my eye on the Ernie Irvin hat right now. What about you, Roland? I'm looking at a Dale Earnhardt signed Chevrolet poster. I need it for my garage. I'm going to bid right now on a bed. So you got to get that Ernie Irvin hat too. Yeah, I'm, I mean, that thing's pretty sweet. So I'm going to try and put my bid in on that. Upgrade your collection today and get $10 off your first win using registration code DAD. Again, that's registration code THAD for $10 off your first order. Links are in the show notes. For you, it's all about going further, faster. For them, it's about helping you achieve it. That's why at Customers Bank, they combine the best of technology with a deeply human touch. They offer a wide range of innovative banking solutions backed by outstanding personal service, giving their customers the edge they need to take on tomorrow. Take the lead with Customers Bank. Learn more at gocustomersbank.com slash NASCAR. Induction Innovations is the leader in American-made handheld induction gears. Home to the original mini-ductor for over 20 years, they've been innovating how mechanics can tackle challenges like Loctite, Rust, and so much more. Induction Innovations' mini-ductor series will meant to free up components quickly using induction heat. The mini-ductor is designed to help techs cut down on ticket times and say, forget that torch. Induction Innovations, do it faster, do it better, do it safely. Visit theinductor.com to learn more. Well, that was fun talking to Will. Learned a lot from him. The guy's been around the sport a long time. He's definitely contributed a lot, and we did not have enough time for his stories. So we definitely have to get him back on the podcast. Yeah, talking to Will was entertaining, but for me, I had to, I was running late for the podcast, had to pull over on the side of the road to film this thing, and my car battery died. So it was not very much fun for me participating in the podcast with no heat and it was cold outside but got my car jumped off made it back we're good to go now we put a fresh odyssey battery courtesy from our partners at the garage thank you odyssey battery but chevrolet needs to work on where they put the battery for your truck man that was not fun i don't know how somebody can do that on the side of the road yeah no tools Very odd placement for a truck battery with all the room under the hood and everything you have to take off just to get the battery out. But nonetheless, we got a new Odyssey battery in there and it runs like a champ again. And And let's clarify, we love you, Chevrolet. We love you. We're we're hoping to win lots on the track with you. So we just got to figure out where to put that battery in a better place for Chad's truck. (laughs) Anyway, shifting gears. 
so yeah, had had a lot of fun talking to Will. So um, definitely go and check out his Wind Cup Museum project on YouTube, and he's going to do a lot of cool stuff there. So make sure you go out and support him. I've got the pleasure of meeting them, them meaning Will and his wife, Christy. They're very, very lovely. Got to meet your grandfather at the Meekum auction. I'll touch on, on that if you don't mind just yeah, real quick. Yeah. So, you know, we took Legacy, which is the second vehicle Petty's Garage ever built. It was commissioned by our friend Bob O'Gorman. So big shout out to Bob at Automotive Lift Institute. We got that down there across the block for... I think it was 185 after everything was said and done and got to meet a lot of cool people including will and that's how we got the podcast all scheduled so meekum great group of people loved hanging out with them and you'll have to you'll have to come down with us next yeah time. i enjoy all those car shows you know they do one in greensboro the greensboro auto auction barrett jackson make them all really cool events you get to see a lot of stuff that you don't get to see every day a lot of cool people at those events. A lot of rich people at those events. <laughs> yeah, a lot of rich people at those events buying. Dude, I saw like a, a Ferrari or something went for, what, how much was it? Like $8 million or something? It was like a crazy number down there no at the Meekum Auction. probably right. Yeah. They had quite a few of them down there. There was a lot of Corvettes down there, too. I've never seen so many Corvettes in my life. So, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, they're, they have new homes for this year. So, what else did you do? You just had a production day. Actually, let's back up from there. You had two photo shoots and a production day. So how was that? That was like your first time. Well, I wouldn't say your first time. You did it a couple years ago, but this was like your first major yeah. photo production. Yeah, shoot. yeah, it was pretty cool. You know, like I had the Fox photo shoot, which was like a party. And I, there was like all the drivers were in there. They tried to cram us all in one day, but they had like a DJ in there, dude. It was it was not like any photo shoot I've ever been a part of, you know, I mean, nobody was worried about being quiet. They had full blown turntables in there and everything else. So really cool to be a part of that this year for the first time. I'd never been part of the Fox photo shoot because I'd never been full time in NASCAR. So for me to get to participate this year was cool. And then we did the Getty images photo shoot, which they use for all the stuff throughout the year and just getting to see some, some old friends of mine. I mean, we ran into Todd, who had been a guest on the podcast, Daniel Suarez, Ross. I got to spend some time with them. Michael McDowell, we saw, you know, I mean, all, all these drivers that, that I haven't seen in a while because I was off the scene running Trans Am stuff that I got to spend some time with. My boy Noah. My boy Noah. Got to talk to Noah a little bit, you know. I mean, he he's excited for him this year, stoked. I talked to him about his deal with Stuart Haas. He seemed really excited and happy over there. So love that for him and just – Cool to be back in the NASCAR circle and get to get to spend some time with some old friends and make some new friends and hopefully get this season off on the right foot. Hopefully they have all the footage they need and now we can just go win some races. What was with the clock? I don't know. I'm not really sure. It was I'll give a, context. There was, Thad's posing with this giant clock. I guess what, is time ticking away for you to win a race or something? I don't know. I don't know. Time's ticking away till the checkered flag, I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's all for TV, right? <laughs> I don't really understand it. I just do what they told me to what, do. What was the cheesiest thing they told you to do? Because I, I love when you're watching TV and, you know, the guys are pointing. What was the funniest thing they had you do? They had me do, like, at the clock thing. They had me do, like, I was tapping on my watch. Uh, okay. And then, like, this. Like, man, you're late. Like, throw my <laughs> arms up. Like, where the heck have you been? You're late, man. I mean, I don't know that it was really that cheesy. Oh, they did 
one where I was like rubbing my hands together and it just made me feel really like a dude it's cheesy yeah it made me feel like really weird you know so yeah it was a very unnatural feeling but the production day here at Petty's Garage with Customers Bank and Tasty Duck was incredible I mean it was all day long it was cool we ate a bunch of duck. I know. They came and grilled awesome. us duck sausage. We grilled duck legs. So we ate a bunch of duck. Banking is not as sexy as duck, I guess, but it was cool to be able to film some of that stuff. You know, I mean, it's just. You say banking's not as sexy as duck? Yeah, like, like there's nothing. Like, what's cool about banking? I mean, I wouldn't call duck sexy, but duck's delicious, man. Right. No, but it, there's a lot more that you can, like. <laughs> Just, just there's other things that you can do. I get. I'm just, stuff, I'm just, you know I'm what I mean. You. You're just taking my words out of context of here, man. Just say like when I think of duck, I'm not thinking, man, yeah, it's sexy, and like that's delicious. Yeah, right? but the and but but the customers delicious. bank one was cool with with the money. The money, yeah, yeah. That we threw cool. up some money, took yeah. some shots of me like tossing it like the one dollar bills, you know. Oh, yeah, it was not very like commercial like i didn't think no it was it was cool to participate in everybody was here so it was cool to have joey from tasty duck here and his son and father and then caitlin from customers bank come and hang out and get to spend some time with my partners and really make make them feel like family before we kick off the season and get busy and we're racing every weekend so just good quality time with some great people and hopefully we got everything that they need, like I said, so that we can just go focus on winning races. I tried getting Joseph to tell you that Ben Rhodes was his favorite truck driver. I gave him a little die cast of Ben Rhodes. He gave me the Ben Rhodes die cast and said, will you sign this? He, signed it. <laughs> he said, will you sign this? Oh. And then I had trouble signing the hood of the 164 scale die cast. You but did I made pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty impressed. So I wonder if Ben can do that. He's got a shorter name than you. so I would imagine he could. All right, that's a challenge. We'll get him on the podcast, and we'll say, sign this 164, as good as Dad did. But, now you got some really amazing sponsors. We can't thank them enough. The Jergowitches were absolutely fantastic here, as well as um, – I did know. struggle to say that name during the first Jergowitz. Yeah, Jergowitz. It's, 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 a, it's a cool-ass name. Have you ever seen, like, the spelling of it? Well, obviously yeah. you have. It's on your uniform. Like, yeah. You, don't, you wouldn't expect Jerga wits to come out of that last name but you know i can't say enough they're the nicest people on, on the earth and same with the customers bank people so shout out to caitlin daigler and, and all the fine folks at customers bank very blessed to have them on board the program for this year so and then hopefully some more which i'm sure you're gonna have i'm gonna i'm gonna vent right now with your sponsors so not with your current sponsors finding sponsors folks it's not as easy as you think it is, okay? A lot of people just think these these sponsors just magically fall into your lap. It's not the case at all. There's a lot of hard work, time, and patience that goes into it because you know, you're expecting people to get right back to you. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of time, as you, as yeah, you know. Yeah, that. and for me, I mean, it's it's different, right? My situation is a little bit different because if I don't have the sponsorship, I just don't go race. Mm -hmm. Like I stay at home, like nobody's going to foot that bill for me. I know that, that everybody's kind of under the impression that, that grandpa would just pay for me to race, but obviously that's not the case or I would already be cup racing by now. Right. I mean, I was on the same path as Ty Gibbs all the way from late model to cup and he, he's already there. And I just finally got my first truck deal because I just finally 
got some good solid partnership this year for the first time. So for me, I mean, it's just a totally different deal. Like I I'm sitting on the couch at home if I don't have the sponsors to go race. So that's everything to me. And, you know, selling it is, it's fun. It's challenging, but it's not easy by any means. Mm -hmm. We worked really, really hard to get partners on board this year. And we've had conversations with thousands of other companies that have said no. And that's, I mean, that's just part of the game, right? Yeah. You go through a thousand of them you get three or four and that's, that's what we need to go race. And so luckily Lane's worked with us really good. And uh, I'm really looking forward to to getting up off the ground and running my first full season in the truck series and having some good backing and some Chevy help and some sim time. I I did that last week for the first time. How was that? I do enjoy that. It is incredible. (laughs) Like what GM's, facility is is just incredible and then the simulators themselves is like way above my head what they're talking you know and then there's like eight guys in the room on their computer and they're all looking at splitters and tires and every aspect of the truck and the software is just incredible like what they do with the simulator is really really cool so you go out and run like five laps you know and then they turn around and make a change and then real time, they upload this change onto the computer and you go run five more laps and you say, that was worse, that was better. And then not only that, but it has the lap time there to tell them. So like, even if I say it's worse, but I ran faster, they can be like, all right, well, what was wrong? Because mm-hmm. you picked up two tenths, right? So it's just really cool that I have the opportunity this year to look at all that data and study it and fine tune myself as a driver to just become the best possible race car driver I can be in 2024. So for like this some event, where were you? Were you at Daytona or like, where do you, where do they have you race? They do several tracks. Like from what I understand, they do pretty much every time we go, we won't run just one place. So it was Daytona, Atlanta, Vegas. Okay. The first three is what was on the simulator this time. And like Daytona, Atlanta, they pretty much just make changes to the car. right? Right. And then Vegas, I give like, more feedback or that's how that whole deal works. So do you feel like you you're more confident going into these tracks this year? I feel like it'll really help me when I get to places that I've never been, you know, like when I get to like a Darlington or Martinsville, like I've never run a race at Martinsville Homestead, like all these racetracks that I've never seen before. If I can just get laps Mm -hmm. there. Cause dude, I was looking at the schedule and we get like 20 to 40 minutes of practice everywhere we go. Like, how, how do you yeah, expect a rookie to go out there, <laughs> learn a place in 40 minutes, right? Not only that, he's learning the racetrack, but he's also making adjustments to his car for the whole weekend and then go out there and execute the whole race. So, like, if I could get the, the sim time before to go learn the racetrack. So, when I roll off a of pit road, it's not like I've never seen turn one at Darlington before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just some of those things is, is really where I think that it'll help me the most. Something else that was pretty cool was having your seat poured in. A lot of people like Noah showed that being done. A couple other drivers. What's that like? Is it like a, um, it's not very comfortable. It looks like it's comfortable. <laughs> it's like, a, so it's pretty cool actually. Like they, they mix this stuff up for 20 seconds and you got like less than a minute to get it poured in and formed around my body. So it's actually like everything else in racing. It's a really quick process, but it heats up and it gets like really, really hot. So it's really uncomfortable. It's a chemical reaction. So 
it causes it to heat up mm-hmm. and expand, right? Mm-hmm. And it forms around my body. So they'll they put these two pads in the seat and this bag, and then they fill the bag with what is essentially the foam after it sets. And it's it's a pretty neat deal. If you haven't seen it, go to my Instagram and check it out. It's pretty cool how they do it. But I think that how it looks is it looks like it's like you're sitting in a big pillow and how it feels is nothing yeah. like that. Like it's pushing on you. You have to push against it the whole time. Just really, really cool. So is that your seat for the year? Is that like a one and done or? So what they'll do is like run that seat. So I run mostly Butler seats in my stuff, but that is for super speedways and my backup truck. Got it. So for Daytona Talladega, that will be in my truck and then it'll be in the backup truck for the remainder of the year. Interesting. Well, there you go, folks. All you need to know about seats. Well, we got some questions from your fans. So big shout out. Jim Boyle actually put these together for me. So big shout out to Jim. He's been a big part of your fan club. Yeah, Jim's the man, dude. Big shout out to Jim. So we're going to tackle some of these for you, our loyal listeners and fans. So just be ready. They're, they're, they're all over the place, that. Okay. So, all right, let's start out. This actually ties into Pristine Auction a little bit. So shout out to our presenting sponsor here. This question comes from Brad Mercurio from Twinsburg, Ohio. And the question is, Thad, do you collect anything in particular? Cars, die cast, baseball cards, what do you collect? I I don't know. I think it's a petty trait, but we're all kind of hoarders. So when I was a kid, I collected rocks and baseball cards, and I grew out of that. I don't collect rocks or baseball cards anymore, but I get hats like everywhere I go now. Like if I travel anywhere, I get like a hat. It, it doesn't matter if it's Jackson Hole, Wyoming, or Europe, or anywhere that I end up going. I just buy a hat in that area. And so I have like Lauren gets aggravated with me, but like half my closet is a different, different hat <laughs> and I wear them all, but I have all kinds of different hats that I wear. And, and that's something I guess you could say that I collect or I keep all the time. Hmm. Well, there you go. Here's another question. What are your favorite sports teams? Baseball, football, basketball. That question is from Paul Flowers from West Columbia, South Carolina. So thanks for the question, Paul. Well, Paul, I am a big Clemson Tigers fan when it comes to NCAA sports. That would be basketball, football, and baseball. I cheer for the Clemson Tigers. Professional football, I am a Green Bay Packers fan. I got to go to Lambeau Field a couple times when I was a child. I got to see Brett Favre play in person. Made me a Green Bay Packers fan. And then after that, you know, Aaron Rodgers came along and he wasn't too bad either. And so getting to watch those guys play and now Jordan Love, getting to watch him play in, at Green Bay has been really, really cool. And um, I'm a big Packers fan there. So baseball wise, I cheer for the Atlanta Braves. I don't follow baseball as much as I used to, but when I was a kid, We went to a lot of Braves games, and the Braves did some stuff with my family, which I thought was really cool back in the day. And um, so growing up a Chipper Jones fan and getting to watch the Braves play was cool. And then, of course, hockey. I'm a Canes fan right here in North Carolina. Watching the Canes play is something you just have to do. So, 
Cool, cool, cool. So we briefly spoke about how hard it is getting sponsors, right, earlier. Yeah. So Shannon McCalla Parrish from Upton, Wyoming. You were just out in Wyoming. I was. Thad, what would be the ultimate sponsor for you to have on, let's say, your truck? She has your car, but we're going to talk about the present day. Who Who's the ultimate sponsor that Thad, maybe this is a pitch right now, throughout into the nether regions of the internet and, and the, the podcast sphere. Who's the ultimate sponsor? Man, that's a tough question, man. Who is the ultimate sponsor? I'll tell you. Tasty.customers bank. Take a look at them, folks. They're the <laughs> ultimate sponsors. Now, but we're blessed to have them. But who who really, you, in your opinion, be like, if you got a call, like, yeah, we're sponsoring you, Thad. Who would you be, like, blown away by? I don't know. <laughs> it's a very difficult. It question. is. It is pretty. It's it's pretty difficult because like I, if any company like I just told you my situation yeah. right. Oh, yeah. So so if any company called and said, "Yeah, we're going to sponsor you," we're not picky, folks. <laughs> <laughs> if any company called and said, "I'll sponsor you," that's the one like, that says we'll sponsor you. Yeah, that's that, that's that, the, that's the that is sponsor. my that is like over the moon for me. Obviously, I like running like the STP truck. Sure, I mean that was awesome, dude. Like running. That scheme that throws back to my grandpa was just incredible. But for me, wanting to make a name for myself, every time I run those colors, it's like I'll be in Richard Petty's car. Yep. You know, so something that would give me my own brand identity just in general. Now, I could go as far to say, like, if I were to get a call from a race team owner, like, if Rick Hendrick called me and was like, Hey Thad, I want to give you a job that that would just be like incredible. You know, that would be like right now. I think that everybody and their brother wants to be over there, you know I mean? Sure. So just to be part of like an organization as strong as that would, would really be cool. Well, just so we can give our partners love here are the ultimate sponsors, right? Right yeah. now, safety clean, best working white, Petty's garage, tasty duck, Induction Innovations, Customers Bank, Pristine Auction, and Lear. They're they're the ultimate sponsors, Shannon, for Thad right now. But great question. We'll wrap it up today with this question. Okay. This is a pretty good question. This is Joppa Joe from Butler, PA. Thad, who do you turn to for racing-related issues? Richard, Uncle Kyle, or somebody else? Racing related issues or question. And the wording of the question is a little bit weird, Joppa Joe, but uh, <laughs> I think that, I mean, racing related stuff, I talk to my grandpa about the most. Racing related issues, I try not to talk to my grandpa about <laughs> because he really chews into me when I mess up. But if it's a question that I have, first person I probably go to is my grandpa and then current drivers, right? Like mm. I have a lot of, of buddies. Grand M Finger answers questions for me, and I feel like he shoots me straight. Ross Chastain, I've recently formed kind of a relationship with, and he said he would be willing to help me. You know, so if I if I get into a year and I'm like, man, this is really not working for me, can you give me some advice? Ross is probably somebody that I would definitely turn to and lean on to kind of help me get to where I need to be. You know, but just in general, 
life questions, racing questions. It doesn't matter. My, my father and my grandfather, probably like most people, are the first two people that I go to to figure stuff out, you know, because even though sometimes I don't agree with everything they say, they've been around the block and they've done it. And so just leaning on them and their knowledge and, and asking them questions is probably the first thing I do. You know who I lean on? Who? Greg Stedman. Greg Stedman. That's Greg another Stedman. good one. Yeah. I have lots of questions for him. Yeah. He is another good one that I ask questions to on a daily basis. You know, he thinks about stuff that I don't think about. So there you go. Well, thanks for those questions, folks. Keep them coming. We got plenty more. We're going to do, uh, address them each and every episode. So really appreciate you uh, tuning in and, and sending those in. What, what do you want to leave the folks with this week, Thad? Any pearls of wisdom or upcoming exciting events? What's going on in your world? Just ready to get to Daytona, man. I know that everybody else is too, but as far as pearls of wisdom, I'm not sure I have any left. <laughs> you got no nothing left. <laughs> nothing left to say this week. But yeah, it's just ready to get rolling with the season. Everything's forming up the way it's supposed to and I appreciate everybody for tuning in and listening to Made in Level Cross. It means a lot to me and Roland and everybody here in Level Cross. So thank you guys for tuning in and be sure to check us out and follow us on all the social media platforms. Yeah, do the thing. All right, everybody, we'll uh, catch you later. Later.